Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. The shift that we need to do um, for the next generation is really be more proactive in showing our kids what we do when people are hurting. So social justice parenting is really this way of intentionally and purposefully showing up for our kids and raising them to care deeply, to love radically, um, to show up for others in ways that cause them to take action. Living a healthy, balanced life is no small feat, especially when you're a mom. With meals to cook, laundry to load, work to do, and humans to raise, it can be easy to feel like we're in an on-again, off-again relationship with healthy living. But it doesn't have to feel this way. I believe living a healthy life has become way too complicated. What we need isn't a new plan or program telling us what to eat or how to live. We need simple, uncomplicated routines and information that's going to help us live our best, most beautiful life without rules and restrictions. Join me, Kristen Dofniak, holistic health coach, certified intuitive eating counselor, and mama of two for weekly conversations on what it means to live a healthy, balanced life, uncomplicate eating, and simplify in every area of mom life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. Chris here, and I'm back with another guest interview today. And today's conversation is a really important one. I think it's one that we all know is important, but I think oftentimes as moms, as parents, we can feel really unsure when it comes to where to start to talk to our kids about big issues, especially issues when it comes to social justice. We want to raise kids who are good kids and kids who love others and who stand up for those who are being discriminated against. We want to help people with inequalities. I think many of us share this desire, but we might not know where to start, how to have those conversations with our kids, when to start having those conversations with our kids, what is appropriate for our kids. And I am so excited to share with you today's guest who gives us some really great action steps for how we can become social justice parents, how parenting is a form of activism and what we do in our homes trickles out into the world and how we can raise our kids to not just love the people inside their home, but to love the people outside their home and to stand up for injustices in the world. And it was just, I had such a fabulous conversation with Dr. Tracy. 
she has such a great way of really making us feel seen when it comes to maybe not knowing where to start with these things, but also really encourage that there is a place to start. There is something that each and every one of us can do and that we we really can start to create change in the world starting in our own home and starting as parents. So Dr. Tracy Baxley is a professor, consultant, parenting coach, speaker, mother to five biracial children, and the creator of Social Justice Parenting. She's also the author of Social Justice Parenting, How to Raise Compassionate, Anti-Racist, Justice minded kids in an unjust world, which came out in 2021. An educator for over 30 years with degrees in child development, elementary education, and curriculum and instruction, she specializes in diversity and inclusion, anti-bias curriculum, and social justice education. She lives with her husband and children in Boca Raton, Florida. I am so excited for you guys to hear this conversation. Like I said, it's a really important one and it can feel overwhelming. And this conversation is not overwhelming at all. She gives some really practical, really great examples of how we can move forward with really raising our kids to be kids who are compassionate children who are helping to make change in the world. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Tracy. Welcome, Dr. Tracy. I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. This is such an important topic, and I'm so I'm so excited to talk about it with you. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So I love to start every one of my podcast episodes with a guest with a fun little icebreaker, and this is my favorite one to ask authors especially. So what are you reading these days? I am in the middle of reading Unbound by Tarana Birch, the founder of the Me Too movement. Um, She's telling her story. Um, It's raw and it's vulnerable. And um, man, she's doing a great job explaining how she got to start the movement, where it came from and her life history. So it's it's a really great read. And she does the audio version, too. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, hearing her tell her own stories is it's really great. Yeah, that's that's always my favorite with any, especially memoirists, when they read their own story. It's so, I think it's so much more powerful really hearing it from their voice. So I agree. Oh, that sounds incredible. So that's a really good segue too, I guess, into our topic today because you are also an author. And today we're going to talk about the topic of social justice, but not just social justice, but social justice parenting. So social justice for those of us who have children who are parents or are a parent figure to, you know, to other children in the world. And this is such an important topic, but like we were talking about before we officially hit record, I think for a lot of us parents, this can be a hard topic because we're not quite sure where to start when it comes to this. We want to help. We want to teach this to our kids, but oftentimes we just, we don't know. We don't know where to start. So the core of the work you do is that parenting is a form of activism. So I would love to have you start by sharing with us your story. Why you you're passionate about sharing social justice parenting with the world and how you got into activism, especially when it comes to speaking to parents. Yes, I, I think growing up, um, I've always been passionate about knowing about other people's stories. Um, I've been very passionate about learning from others. And I, I think when I was a kid growing up, like in middle school and high school, 
I never subscribe to being in one of those subgroups um, that we see very common in, in, in high school or middle school. But um, I played sports or I hung out with some of my sports friends, but I also was part of student government. I had friends in theater. And so this whole idea of being around different groups, learning about their different perspectives and the way they feel they felt about things going on in the school. I think that started building my capacity for compassion and hearing different perspectives and different voices. And then I also would say like um, early in my elementary school teaching days, my early in my career, I always found myself fighting for those children who were often cast out by their peers and unfortunately even by some teachers. And so I think that started growing my passion for social justice and it continued to grow as I became a professor working in the areas of literacy, diversity and multicultural education. So once I became a mom, um, I, I saw the way my kids would have to navigate in the world. Uh, my kids are biracial, um, what that meant to be biracial in society, what it means to be black in society because I needed them to know that too. and. I knew not only did I need to be proactive in making their journey kind of uh, less limiting, but I also wanted to support parents who were not afraid or courageous enough to do the same thing. Mm, I love that. And I love that, you know, you have that personal connection and you also have that experience, you know, not just being in school yourself, but then being a school teacher. And, you know, I know personally, I did not grow up in a very diverse area. I just, I didn't. And so I, I didn't experience a lot of, you know, we had those different social groups at school where we had, you know, people who had different interests and, and things like that. But when it came to diversity of race, race, ethnicity, there wasn't a lot of that. And so I was always taught growing up, you know, that you, you treat everyone equally and that we love everyone equally, but there wasn't an emphasis. And this isn't, you know, my parents didn't know any other way. Right. And so there, but right. there wasn't an, emph- an, any, an emphasis, gosh, my words <laughs> on really, I guess, standing up for those who are marginalized or even that that even existed anymore. To be perfectly honest, I don't, I think growing up where I grew up, I grew up in a small little New England beach town. It wasn't something that we saw a lot. And so for those of us who didn't hear, and I never heard the term social justice until probably a handful of years ago. So what does this actually mean then to be the parent? So I have two children now myself, um, and they are actually both part part white, part Asian. So they have a little a little bit of diversity to them as well. And, you know, it's interestingly enough, one of them looks at it and one of them doesn't, which makes it really interesting to even have that conversation with them, too, about, you know, the fact that, you know, this is something to be, you know, that we can be excited about. We can learn about this culture and learn about both of our cultures and and, you know, including them in the conversation about diversity and, and all that. Um it's an it's kind of an interesting conversation in our house already. Yes. So what does what does this term mean? And I guess where do we even start with this as parents? I'm I'm totally I'm I'm the learner here. So I would love yes. for you to kind of share this. I wanna I wanna before I answer that, I want to touch on something you said earlier in your statement about, you know, the way your parents raised you to to basically be a good person, right? Loving everybody, not judging people. And I think that is a topic that we need to explore um, right now because 
I have a lot of clients who want to do more anti-racist pro-justice work and their partners are not pushing back against it, but saying, why do we have to really call it that? We, we are raising good people. And so I think what a lot of parents did in generations before is raise good people. Um, but we're seeing that that is really not enough um, because in raising good people, you don't really explain to your children the nuance of identities um, and the privilege and power that comes with certain identities. And um, we're not really teaching our children to be proactive. So mm -hmm. being good to me, being a good person is more passive. Um, but if you're raising kids who are more social justice or pro-justice um, leaning, you are raising children to intervene when things are going on. Like, so um, good people don't hurt people. Pro-justice or social justice-minded children, um, they intervene when hurt is happening. So um, I think the shift that we need to do um, for the next generation is really be more proactive in showing our kids what we do when people are hurting. Um, so social justice parenting is really this way of intentionally and purposefully showing up for our kids and raising them to care deeply, to love radically, um, to show up for others in ways that cause them to um, take action. So it's really um, us evaluating our own parenting, um, just as you were saying, right? There's nothing wrong with our parenting, but there's things that happen in our, in our childhood that we can take with us as we move into our own parenting. And there's things that we want to do maybe better or differently. Um, and um, it's no slight to our parents, but as we grow and learn more, we want to do a little bit more. So it just requires us to have these open dialogues with our kids about what's going on around the world and not protecting them from these things, but engaging with them in um, unpacking them and then finding solutions for our family. Like what, what can our family do to be proactive and what is our responsibility in making some of those changes? So ultimately it's about moving away from this kind of fear-based parenting is what I call it to really being more proactive in having our children take action when there's marginalization, hurt, stereotype, and those things going on around them. Mm, yeah. There's a lot, I know. <laughs> it is. But, you know, as you're talking, I think that something that I have felt really strongly about personally is not necessarily feeling like I need to protect my kids from the world and really wanting to share these things with them because I don't think that I was shared a lot of the things that were going on in the world, the injustices. I think the first time I really heard about a big, you know, tragedy or something that, you know, something big that happened in the world and these things that are happening every single day are they might not feel like big things but they are big things to the individuals who this is happening to right for people who are being marginalized for people who are being abused to people these injustices are happening to right but i think the first time i thought i heard of something like that happening was 9/11 and i was i was 12 when that happened 12 11 or 12 that's a long time before i really kind of understood that people do terrible things in this world. I mean, you kind of hear it here and there. But so I, I, I do personally want that to be something where we have these discussions with our kids. But I think what is 
what's hard for me is kind of deciding how we start those conversations with them and kind of opening that dialogue. So my kiddos now are, they're almost four and almost eight. I think by the time this episode comes out, their birthdays are coming up. They'll be, they'll be four and eight. So I know that there's different ways to talk about things with the different ages. So where do you start with having these conversations with our kids when it comes to, you know, them being maybe three or four and or, you know, even seven or eight, I know that my older daughter ha- definitely has much more awareness about what's going on in the world. And we've, we've already started having these conversations. So where do you kind of start with those conversations? I think the, the first place to start really is with yourself, right? So you have to do some reflecting about your own position in all of these, like what, what your fears are, what your anxieties are, um, the way you were raised, um, how much of these conversations you have with your own own families um, and understanding where you're coming from and, and what you're bringing to the conversation is really the first step. Um, I think recognizing too that children organically, they want things to be fair. They have natural curiosities where they're asking a lot of questions. They really want straight answers um, and they want to know how to fix it. They want things to be fair. And so I think really starting with our children early on, before preschool, really, because they always ask questions. Mm-hmm. And I think us leaning into creating safe space for those questions to be answered is really important. And doing that early, because as they get older and they start getting information from the outside world, their peers, their social media, on their phones, right, they're going to you would have created um, situations in your home where they can come to you openly and talk about those things, Mm -hmm. or you've never talked about those things. They may have a sense that they're not safe to talk about them in your own, in your home. So I think starting early, having conversations early um, in a place where they, their curiosity is um, accepted and encouraged um, is a great start. And I think when you are bringing up topics, you don't, obviously when they're young, you don't give them all the gory details, right? Mm -hmm. You do stuff that's age appropriate. You give them um, as much context as they can handle. Um, And also it really helps to give them example that may be relatable to their their own lives. Um, And then you always follow up because when they're young, there's going to be gaps in their learning clearly, mm-hmm. right? And so when you follow up, you ask these open-ended questions so that you know what they understood, what they didn't understand, and what you need to go back to kind of fill in the gaps. But I think um, starting off asking, you know, tell me what you think. What do you know about that already? How did you learn that? Um, what else do you know? So that you kind of know where to start. I'm always a big proponent of children's literature, right? It's a great way to a great entry point for us to start talking about hard things in our families. Um, and you could say, you remember that book that we read last week or yesterday about the kids, you know, that were mean to the one girl because she was different. Um, maybe talk about how she was different and how the kids treated her. And this is just obviously example off the top of my head, but how did that make you feel? It made me sad. It made me angry. Let me tell you why. Um, and did you know that this happens in the real world? Like, Sometimes people get treated differently because of how they look. Um, Our family, 
Um, this is why, how we feel about this. These are our core values about that. What do you think our families can do to help people who are treated differently because of those? So, you know, put it in context and try to put it in a way that they understand it and that it connects to something that they already know. Mm, I really like that. I really love those questions and getting an idea for where where your child is at before you kind of jump in because they might they might know more than you think they do, right? right, or, right. Um, and that I love that. Yeah, I like that. And I also am a huge fan of literature and reading and being able to have those examples too. And then I love that relating to to real life things that they might understand. And then I, you also talk in your book about core values and having those values as a family and really reflecting on that ourselves first. And I think that's really important too, because I know that I'm not sure that's a conversation that I've necessarily had with my husband is sitting down and going like, I mean, we, we kind of know, we know what our values are. We know what we believe, but I think maybe, um, yeah, sitting down and really having that conversation makes it even easier to talk to our kids when we have a little bit more clarity with that too. Um, yeah, because you also want to be very clear about conveying that to your children. Yeah. You don't want them, you don't want to assume that they know what your core values are. Yes. So, I mean, we have ours written down in our house, you know, and your eight-year-old can really be a part of that. Like mm-hmm. what's important to our family? What are the things that when we are in our own spaces at school, at work, that we know that all of us, you know, are thinking about that, that we know. And when you're out of line, you know, there's some misalignment, you have something that brings you back. Does your action, right? Even when your kids become teenagers, right? Does your action align with their core values? If it doesn't, then we need to get you back in alignment and then there'll be consequences so that it's clear, it's focused. And I think ultimately creating these core values really creates this legacy for your family, right? Mm -hmm. So when your children go off into the world, they know, even if they get off course, right? They know that these are the things that are important to my family and how do I get myself back in alignment with that? Or when they start having their own families, these are the core values that I grew up with. They're important that I keep them with my own families. And so I think the more you can make these things permanent, the more you can make it more concrete for your family so that you're all on the same page. Um, I think it's really important to establishing Again, safe space, um, you know, what's important to you as a family as you start to become, um, start doing the work in social justice. Mm, Yeah, I really, I really like that. I've got a, I've got a takeaway that I've got to go and, and sit down with my husband and go, okay, let's, let's actually write these down and let's actually make this something that we can come back to. We do have, like I said, these conversations, but not to the extent that I would like to. So I love that having that. And then that is something that you can carry on as your family legacy. So I love that. So there is something that you talk about in the book right in the very beginning, and I found it really powerful. And I'd love for you to explain it a little bit more. And because we talked about how, you know, growing up for myself personally, it was we were taught just, you know, you treat everyone equally and you love everyone. You talk about the concept of radical love in your book. So what does radical love mean? And how does this need to belong, which I found really fascinating how you talked about our our inherent need to belong. How does it kind of help us to connect to our kids and then also connect to other people in that way? Yeah, I think radical love is this kind of this unconditional love that we, um, in the way that we show up for others, 
beyond our own homes, right? Mm-hmm. So it's this this love that I think is like magnified to be inclusive. Um, it's focusing on others and it's fueled by compassion and this understanding of ways of promoting healing and growth. Um, and it is something that goes beyond your four walls. Um, it's a way of um, creating this village of love, really, right? So it's how we, it's, it's letting go of the fear, letting go of the fear and allow ourselves to hear and feel other people's stories. And um, this idea of letting our children also be a part of that. I know sometimes we are so um, wanting to protect our families and protect our our kids from, you know, things out there or bad or hard topics um, that we forget and protecting them. We are shielding them off for the rest of the world. Um, and radical love um, expands that love um, where our parenting is not just thinking about our own children, but we're thinking about children that are outside our homes. Mm. And, and I think too, that, um, you know, this connection to belonging, it, I think the work in creating belonging is really about, it's always changing because the people that we love, um, they're always changing. And so this idea of creating these safe spaces where our kids can have hard conversations, can come to us about the things that are important to them, even if they're hard for us to hear, um, where we create these spaces of belonging in our homes, our kids learn how to create spaces out in the world uh, for belonging. And I think it has this rippling effect of, um, you know, it goes back to, you know, your your original statement about parenting being um, a a form of activism. So what we're doing in our homes, they they show up in public spaces. So we're not just parenting privately in our houses, but we are really creating human beings that are going to be out in the world doing the work. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it, it makes so much sense. And it's so beautiful how you, how you put that, you know, our kids are always changing. And so it is about that safe space, right? Allowing them to consistently feel like they belong, no matter how they change and grow and always allowing them to come to us with those things with that non judgment. So then they do that for other people. Because it really does it really does trickle out. And I think sometimes we forget that I think sometimes we get into our, you know, silo of parenting, this is our this is our house, and this is our home. And I love my kids, and I'm going to love on my kids. Um, and you know maybe maybe yeah they'll come to me when they have something that they want to that they want to talk about but they might not if it doesn't feel if it doesn't feel safe or it's that you know conversations have never been breached before and then it might feel uncomfortable for them to have a conversation with somebody else or to stand up for someone when they see something happening if they've never had that conversation before so i love that idea of radical love being you know beyond just the four walls of our home, but really extending out, starting with starting with how we parent and starting with those conversations. And um, I mean, I have a podcast, so I'm a big talker. I love to talk. I love to have conversations <laughs> with, with my kids. And even if they're uncomfortable and even if I'm not quite sure where to start, and that's why I really appreciate resources like yours, because it gives us a place to start. It gives us a place to figure out where our kids are at and start to have that conversation and kind of go from there. 
So one of the conversations and one of the words I wanted I want to talk about because this is thrown around a lot I think on social media especially now is this idea of privilege and the word privilege. So I think you have a you did a really great job in your book of kind of explaining the difference between privileged and marginalized. And so how does understanding privilege and what privilege really means help us to relate to others with this from this place of compassion that you talk about? It's such a great question. I I love the way you frame that. I don't think anybody's quite framed it that way of using privilege to help us become more compassionate and that's compassionate and that's really what it's all about because we do see the word privilege in a way that now is you feel scared about it you feel defensive about it you feel angry about it you feel like it doesn't relate to you but in fact it relates to all of us because we all have these multiple identities that we hold um, no matter where you are we know that these identities are socially constructed, you know, based on where you live. Um, but when we look at it from the lens of the United States, um, there are definite identities that we hold that hold more power and privilege and some that are more marginalized. Um, and I think, uh, for example, with me as a Black woman, those are two identities that I hold that traditionally in our, in our country they don't hold as much power as the opposite of that, right? Um, but I also am middle, high, socioeconomically, middle class, um, where I know I have privilege in that area. And so we need to stop thinking about privilege as something negative or bad, but it is just a tool that we have, right? Not necessarily by something that we've done, but just based on these social constructed identities mm -hmm. that we can use to support people who don't have that privilege. So less of a weapon, right? It's been weaponized so much more as a tool for change. So if I have privilege in the space of socioeconomics, what am I doing? How am I using that privilege to serve, to support, to empower people who may not have that same privilege? Um, and I think particularly white privilege has been the thing that people get kind of um, afraid of. But it's just basically, you know, as a white person, you hold more privilege. Um, and so then you need to say, how do I stand in the gap? How do I stay? How do I stand up, support um, people who are not white that may be marginalized when it comes to race? So it's just take, looking at all our identities um, and seeing how we can support other people and how we use it to create more compassion. Yes, yeah, and using it for good. I love your explanation because it, it really, when I was reading that part of your book, I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this makes so much sense. And I think it is something that we've been made to feel sort of almost like shamed for, but using it for good it makes so much more sense and is something, it's that activism point. It's going, okay, so yeah, I have these privileges. This is just who I am. This is who I was, I was born. This is who, how I was born. So I can use this for good instead of being like, well, I've got this privilege. And so this is something I just need to feel, you know, bad about. It's going, okay. Or that I have these, you know, 
I'm marginalized in these ways, right? Like, and so I don't have this power. How can I, um, instead of feeling bad about that, going, okay, well, yeah, I have these other privileges. How can I use that for good? So I really love that. And so how would you approach this type of conversation? I mean, it might be a big conversation to really get into the word privilege and all that with our kids, but how do you approach that with your kids or and w- or with our kids in general? How should we start to approach that that idea of privilege and helping them to understand that concept? Yeah, I um, in the book, I have that, uh, it's like a chart of yeah. all these different kinds of identities. I would, especially with your eight-year-old, I would sit down and look at that chart. I would just mm. really go over the chart with them and say, these are things in our society where people may have more opportunities than others. Let's look at this chart and see where we land as a family, you know, mm-hmm. or we each can do our own because I don't know if your eight-year-old is a boy or a girl. She's a girl. A girl. Okay. Yeah. So let's, okay. As, as, as a white female, um, we have a power and privilege in this area, but may have less. And then I think doing that chart, it then starts to open up conversations, right? So then maybe your daughter will ask, well, why is that? Mm-hmm. Why? I don't feel like I have less power as a woman. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's when you can start having the real dialogue around these questions, um, and, and I think that chart is really an easy way for, for us to say, okay, so if we have privilege in these four areas, let's take one of those areas and see how we can work on that and make some changes as a family. So that gives your family a direction to go in to start working on your, your um, how to use your, your privilege for, for change or something mm-hmm. positive, you know, something that you may be passionate about. This could be a seed that's planted to start to build these habits of kindness or um, social justice or social activism in your in your home. Mm. Oh, I really like that. I mean, I I loved the chart because it was so clear and outlined to me, but it makes so much sense because my eight-year-old loves charts and she and she I think it's very easy for her to understand in that way too. So I really, I really like that. What age do you feel like? I mean, I guess all of our kids are different, but what age do you start to talk about more specifics, I think, then um, versus, I guess, maybe a little bit broader? Is it around that kind of around that I age? Think, or I, I think, you know, I think around five years old, you can start having some questions about fairness and difference, mm-hmm. right? Kids, they, they know fair. Mm-hmm. And if you bring up a situation that's happening in the world and say somebody's being treated unfairly, they are going to want to know why. And what can we do to fix it, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, using basic vocabulary and then building on that, I think is a great way to start. And kids know fair and unfair. So I think starting that, and then you can say, you know, that word is called discrimination or that Mm -hmm. word is called stereotyping or that is called racism or sexism. So then you can introduce those bigger words as they start to develop this idea of, I don't like things not being fair. Mm-hmm. What can we do to help? Um, and then you build those those more technical or bigger vocabulary and um, and and more nuance, right, in the concepts. Mm-hmm. But I think you know, four and five year olds they know what's fair and not fair. Yeah, that's and true. Show that kids began to around preschool age start picking their play groups based on race race issues. I don't know, in the book I was talking about, um, my daughter, when she was in kindergarten, got excluded from a group 
because she was a Christian and she wasn't Jewish because there was a hmm. high Jewish population in mm-hmm. her in our public schools in our area. Um, and how hurtful that was to her and how she remembered that years later. Yeah. And so again, we're talking about why is that, why was that done? So that that opens up a whole conversation about um differences and people being treated unfairly because of those differences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what? It's it's interesting. I actually had a conversation with my almost four-year-old a couple weeks ago because we were just we were walking back from school. And she was like, and this is kind of a, it seems like a silly example, but I think it's it's one of those opportunities to just have a conversation, right? She was like, I don't like boys. And I'm like, okay, why is that? I'm <laughs> just like out of the blue. All of her friends at school are boys. And so I'm not sure where this came from. I'm not sure if there was like something that, you know, something that came up at school or whatever. And nothing that I, nothing that was like need to, I need to be made aware of by the teachers or anything like that. And I was like, oh, really? I was like, why is that? And she's like... I don't know. I just don't like boys. I like playing with the girls. And I was like, well, daddy's a boy. And I started naming off like, you know, Papa's a boy and Unkunk, she calls my my best friend Unkunk, is a boy. And, and, you know, then I named some of her friends who are boys. And she was like, oh, well, I like them. And I was like, you do like them. And I was like, so it, it doesn't it doesn't mean that you don't like, I don't know if I'm if I'm really having this conversation the right way with her, but I'm just trying to have the conversation. I'm like, no, so you, yeah, so you do like great. some boys. And she was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> and so I we just know, kind of had I that conversation. And, and it was like, and I was like, well, you wouldn't want them to not play with you because you're a girl, right? And she was like, no. And I was like, so that's why it doesn't really matter if they're a boy or a girl. If they're your friend, they're your friend. And she was like, oh, okay. And we like kept going. We kept moving on. And so, you know, that just popped into my head as you're saying this. I'm like, she's not even four. And we had a little conversation about like, we don't we don't need to not like any boys. I mean, obviously, I don't want her like, you know, wanting, <laughs> wanting, you know, to get married at the age of four or anything like that. I mean, she can marry whoever she wants to. But, you know, I, I think it was more of a there might have been like a, a boy said something mean to her or something. And she decided, I don't like boys anymore. So we just kind of had a conversation like, you know. I don't think we need to make a blanket statement like that. But, and it, you know, it was just kind of a silly thing at the age of four, but it is, you know, those, that's how those conversations I think do start. So. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it seems silly, but those are big feelings for her at that moment. Mm-hmm. Right. And unpacking that with her, you create a safe space for her to be able to have those conversations to be heard, which is really important. Right. A lot of parents, don't really listen to their kids Mm -hmm. or we invalidate their feelings, you know? Um, So unpacking that and allowing her to have those feelings, but helping her to decide whether what she's saying was really what she meant to say, Mm -hmm. is really important because um, that's going to help her as she's starting to make decisions and she's starting to self-advocate for herself later on. Mm -hmm. So I, I think validating that for her and not just dismissing it is it was is really important mm-hmm. and those yeah. teachable moments man they're the best time to engage in the dialogue um, when things come up even when you're not totally prepared um, being able to try to unpack those things with your kids even if you have to say you know what I need to think about this a little bit more but I want to come back to it mm-hmm. um, is really important too you know, maybe you're not ready. Maybe it's a lot for you and you need time to process it too. That's okay. Holding space for that 
is really great. And then you always follow up and say, remember we were talking about X, Y, Z, or that you don't like boys yesterday. I really want to tell you what I was thinking and what I thought about after, you know, and following up and then, you know, say, do you have any more questions about that or anything else come up for you so that it gives you a chance to see what they're thinking, what they learned from what you said Mm -hmm. um, and seeing what you need to reteach or where you need to fill in the gaps again. Yeah. Oh, I really appreciate that. Cause I do think sometimes we can feel like we get kind of put on the spot and you like have to say the right thing right then, but you can go, okay, let's come back to that later. And that, you know, it's not lost because it's just another conversation that you're having. So I really appreciate that. That definitely makes me feel a little better. Like, oh yeah. Okay. So even if I don't have anything to say in the moment, we can come back to that and we can continue that conversation because the goal is that it's a continual conversation, right? Cause these, right. these are going to come exactly. up in different areas, right? It's not always going to be that she doesn't like boys. It could be, you know, it could be a conversation about race. It could be a conversation about, you know, so many other injustices that are happening. And this is just, you know, this was just a little four-year-old thing, but it might not be a little four-year-old thing in the future. So, yeah. So this is a really good segue because you have this really cool um, system for like these building blocks that you outline when it comes to social justice parenting in your book. And you use the rocks metaphor for this. So it's reflection, open dialogue, compassion, kindness, social justice engagement, and modeling advocacy. So we've already kind of talked about some of this, right? We've talked about the reflection, like reflecting on our own experiences with our families and our own feelings and our core values, and then the open dialogue. And I think that that's you know, so important and really having that safe space for our kids. But can you kind of give us an example of these other areas too, and kind of the process that you go through with helping, helping parents become more you know, social justice parents? Yeah, yeah. So yes, the R is reflection, the O is open dialogue, which we um, discussed already at some level. Um, the C is compassion. And when I look at really compassion and kindness, I look at it from three different lenses, right? Um, self. So how are you showing self-compassion? How are you showing that and demonstrating that with your children? And then how is your family then taking that out in your community? So the hardest for me, really, of all of these things is self-compassion. And, um, and I'm sure I'm not alone with that, especially with a lot of moms who are trying to do it all, right, all the things. Um, but I try to be very proactive when I make the mistake and say something negative about myself or forgetting something or getting something wrong. I sometimes will say, negative things out loud, but I try to be very proactive with fixing that out loud too. Mm. So my children can hear that I do have to work in this area, but here's how I'm fixing that. So if I say, oh my God, Tracy, that was so stupid. Then I say, okay, no, it wasn't. You made a mistake. Let's figure out how we're going to fix that. Or now I know how to do it differently. Um, so I think it's really important that we're modeling that in our homes. Um, sometimes we're doing that work internally, but our kids need to be able to hear that self-talk out loud so that they are learning the skills to be able to do that in their own lives. Um, and then the same with the kindness, right? We want to create a household where mistakes are a part of that, um, and learning from those mistakes are okay. Um, and not 
our kids feeling nervous about getting things wrong or making mistakes, and then the compassion out into the world, right? So how do we use this to stand up for others um, out in the real world? And how do we teach our children to um, see perspectives in a way that's not weird, (laughs) just they're just different, right? And so kindness is the next building block. And again, it's self-kindness, kindness to our kids, kindness in the world. And it can be small acts of kindness. I think small acts of kindness, they build up to make real habits for our kids. So being kind just becomes part of who they are when they go out into the world. Mm-hmm. So we do it. Um, we pay, like to pay for people that are in the back of us in line. We um, like to help neighbors. Like, you know, if you know a neighbor who needs their mail picked up or they need little things that the kids can be involved in. Um, smiling. I mean, it's so hard now with all the masks, mm-hmm. but smiling, you know, it changes people's day, you know, yeah. it doesn't cost anything. So teaching our kids how to do these little things um, that will over time build habits of kindness. And then the last one is social justice engagement. So this is where your activism is put into um, play outside of your home. So there could be little things like volunteering, um, committing your time and your money to a cause in a moment, um, letter writing. We do, when my son was probably, I don't know, he must have been five, six or seven. They were cutting down trees in in an area near our home. And he got so upset about all the buildings coming up and the trees being cut down. Mm. And I said, you know, it is very sad. Like, what can we do about it? So, you know, we ultimately wrote a letter to the mayor um, that he was able to take down to city hall. So, you know, nothing got done. Obviously the trees got cut down and they built buildings, but he felt empowered by being able to write his letter to say, this is what I feel um, as a citizen in the city. So, you know, teaching our kids to be empowered and to empower others is part of that social justice engagement piece. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that. Those just little ways that we can start to instill this in our kids, the the kindness and the social justice engagement in those little ways. And then, yeah, it does build, right? When they grow up like that, then they have more more of an inclination to, to do that. So, I love that. So, so there, the next kind of part to this is the modeling of the advocacy. So as, as someone who I don't really think I, I mean, okay, this is nothing against my parents because my parents are a great, are great people. And like I said, they, they did their best with what they knew and, you know, we can, we know better and we can do better and we can advocate more. Um, But I don't necessarily think that I was modeled that as a child, just because we did little things, you know, we participated in, in different things, um, you know, at our church, like around the holidays, we used to make boxes for underprivileged kids, things like that. We have, there were little things that we did. So how can we as parents start modeling this advocacy as adults? How can we kind of start showing, what are some ways we can start showing this to our kids? Yeah, I would ask your kids, right? I think they have a wide way, a wide range of how they think they could help. Now, you may have to kind of guide it, right? And and put it into actionable steps. But I think our kids see more than we think they see. Mm-hmm. Um, and think about what's 
what's important to you? What's important? What aligns with your core values? Like, you know, is it um, helping people who are who are unhoused, right? Maybe that's a community um, in your a, a group of people in your community that you want to serve and want to support. So I, I would say start with what's kind of passionate for you, for your family, things that you see around you, and then make an action plan around that. I mean, obviously, a lot of organizations, young kids can't go and volunteer. But there's some things called portable projects that you can do as a family. Um, like um, if you have a woman's shelter near, right, and you want to collect supplies for that or books, right? You know, we all have a lot of books in our libraries that we want to recycle. Maybe you want to send those to the local women's and children's shelter. So kids can pack, right? Kids can pull the books off their bookshelves, things that they don't need anymore. Um, they can go with you to the store to get the items that are needed. Maybe have a list of the things that the shelter needs that they can help you buy. So I would find something that you're passionate about and making a difference or a group of people that you want to help empower, right? It may go back to your privileged areas too. Mm -hmm. um, and um, create lists of little things that can be done so that your children can see that it's a part of your core values. Um, because the kids who, who do this on a regular basis in their homes, they're the ones that are going to go in the world and start leading these movements mm -hmm. because it's natural for them. It's part of who they are. It's part of their core values. And it's part of the legacy that they will leave um, when they're when they're older or they're adults. Mm. Oh, I like that. This feels so doable too. <laughs> and yes. I can already, you know, I'm already thinking of the things when you're talking that are that I am passionate about and so many things that we can do, even just in our local area, and then you know, potentially expanding outward, you know, as as the opportunity arises. So I love that. I really like that. And I love asking our kids too, because yeah, I'm sure they have a ton of ideas. My my oldest is just naturally very compassionate and she's a helper. She wants to help everyone. She wants to do what she can and she's got big dreams. And so yeah. I think I'm sure she would have a huge long list of ideas just immediately. If I asked her, I just think we, we haven't done that as much as, as yeah. I would like to. So and I would like put it on a chart paper, right. And just brainstorm yeah. and have that chart paper up on a wall so that she can see, okay, we're going to get to some of these things. Let's start with, this is the one you want to start with. Okay. If we're going to start with this one, now let's kind of, you know, brainstorm this one and see mm -hmm. what are some of those things that we can do so that it's tangible and they can see it and manipulate it and um, be able to check things off too. Mm -hmm. One of my girlfriend's um, family, they build, um, you know, the tiny book libraries that people have like in their yards yeah. or stuff that you can, they do tiny pantries. And oh, so cool. they have built six or seven around our city that they have like in front of a church, in front of a community center where people can put in canvas, non-perishable, especially yeah. during the pandemic, right? And then people can come and take what they need and put stuff in. And it's just been such a great way to serve people who are who were hurting during and during the pandemic time. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean it's like the project that keeps giving. And yeah. it's, it's just so cool to see. Yeah. 
That is really cool. And I am sure, you know, that empowers the kids too to go like, I mean, that's the whole conversation we're having, right? But to go like, I did something, especially when they see that and they drive by and they go, I helped make that. And I put that up. So that's really cool. I love that. Yeah. And using our skills too, to, to be able to, you know, to be able to help people in that way. Like I would have no idea how to build one of those, (laughs) but I'm sure there's somebody we know. I know that there's people that we know that could do something like that and that could make that happen. But one of the things that I know that I've done with my kids is volunteer at a food pantry. Um, This is before the pandemic. So it's, it looks a little bit different now. I'm not a food pantry. Sorry. Um, They were giving meals to people. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, so I vol- we volunteered there. Um, and I brought my oldest daughter, my little one was too young. So this is a couple of years ago. So she was about six. Um, and we served food to people and um, I have a culinary background. So that's something that I can do. I actually didn't help a lot with the cooking. It was mostly just the serving, but I brought her and she got to see, you know, people in our very local area that were underprivileged and, and kids too. And that was a conversation that we had after. And she's like, why were there kids there? I'm like, because they were a part of their family, right? And their family doesn't have enough to eat. And so that's what we did. That's one of, that's why we were serving them too. And um, so, yeah, I think that, and so she kind of felt like, oh, because she was helping other kids too. I feel like that was, that was where that went for her um, going, oh, I'm helping other kids. There are other kids who don't have food on the table every night like I do. Um, so, yeah. So I think that's really that's really cool. I love that. And now and I want to know how we can like make those. Say, Chris, yeah. Let me just say one thing too, that um, these are things we can help with our children help with, but as adults too, we need to be also thinking about the systemic issues that we, we, we um, see in the world. Yes, and as adults, yeah. what can we do to start, you know, thinking bigger and, and mm-hmm. um, more systemic changes, you know, yes, yeah. like, you know, not enough, affordable housing for people who are homeless, right? Or, um, you know, racism that occurs in, you know, lending or banking or whatever it is. So Mm. I want us to also think how we're raising our children, but the examples that we're setting with more, more complex things as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's ultimately where the change is going to happen. There's a lot that we can do in our local area in the small, in the small ways. And I know the small ways add up, but it is that systemic mm-hmm. change. So I'm really glad that you brought that up too. Cause that is, that's something that's always on my mind. Like, how can I, how can I help start to work towards that systemic change? I feel like I don't have a lot of power, but I think we have, we have more power and that's going back to that privilege conversation, right? Like we have more power than we think we do based on, we have these privileges. So how can we use that? for good going kind of going back to that and going, how can right. I use that for good? And how can I in, in maybe even in small ways, or maybe then in bigger ways, help with this systemic change, um, starting, starting small and getting bigger. So I like that. Yes. I I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That's really important. So, so where do we go from here then? So most of the, most of the people listening are moms. And so, you know, largely parents. I think I have like a few guys who listen, <laughs> but most, most of the people who are listening are moms. So, how, what do you hope that the mom listening or the person listening takes the most from our conversation today and kind of carries on into their own parenting and into the world? I think recognizing the fear, right? If you're stuck in that fear-based parenting, recognizing that, owning that, um, and then thinking about small ways to get, to take action, to get beyond that. So that your um, social justice parenting doesn't have to be something huge. 
it's about about making I always say that the the only real wrong way to do like activism is to do nothing at all. Um, don't be afraid of getting things wrong. Don't be afraid of feeling uncomfortable um, because we're pushing ourselves to do something differently and change is sometimes hard, but I would employ you to take a step, right? Small action steps so that our children can see um, our core values come alive and our core values in action. Mm, yeah. I really like that. Yeah. The, on, the only wrong way to do it is by not doing anything at all. So I like that a lot. So you have this incredible book, um, Social Justice Parenting. So where can my listeners find your book? How can they connect with you and all the work that you do? Yeah, the book can be found pretty, it's in, it can be found pretty much where you buy books. But if you go to my website or my um, Instagram bio, I have links for from Amazon to independent um, book stores. Um, and my Instagram is what I call my social justice, social justice parenting village is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's at social justice parenting and you can find any offerings or any of my background or anything else at my website, which is the same name, www.socialjusticeparenting.com. Awesome. And we will put all those links in the show notes so they can access those really easily. Awesome. This was you. such an incredible conversation. Oh my goodness. I feel I feel so much like I, I mean, I know I've read your book and you have such great action steps. And one of the things that I didn't mention, I mentioned this to you before, but I want to mention this on the on our actual in our actual conversation right now too is just like our conversation today your your book gave me so much confidence to actually be able to take steps it gave me some really good action steps feeling like i can move forward with having these conversations with my kids where i have a better understanding of privilege and you have these really great journal prompts too within it where you can, they can kind of reflect. And as we talked about, you know, kind of reflecting on where we've been and our core values and then kind of moving, moving forward from there. So I really loved that about your book. And I think that if the listeners loved our conversation today and got something from our conversation today, which I'm absolutely sure that they have, I think your book is such a great next step. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for taking the time out of your day and chatting with me and our listeners. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. If you loved it, would you take a screenshot and share it with a friend over on Instagram and tag me in it? It helps me so much to know what you love and are taking away from each episode. If you really loved it, would you hop over to iTunes and give me a star rating and review? Every rating and review helps this podcast be seen and heard by more women who need to hear the message of balance and wellness without deprivation. It's the best free gift you could give me. And as a reminder, the information and opinions on this podcast are meant for education and inspiration only and are not to be taken as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult with a trusted practitioner before making any changes. Have a beautiful day, friend, and I'll see you in the next episode.